0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest episode of the You Should Run podcast. I'm your host, Tony Heil, council member in Bridgeport, Pennsylvania, right near Philadelphia. And if you have listened to my podcast, and hopefully you have, because when you're listening to this one, at least, uh, you know I've talked to at least one person from every state, including Washington, D.C., at all levels of government, from U.S. Senate to, well, Bridgeport Borough Council. And I appreciate hearing the different perspectives and uh, the issues that go on at different levels of government and hopefully encouraging you to not just vote, not just volunteer, which are important things, not just attend your local meetings, but to actually run and be part of the political process and make sure your perspective is uh, part uh, at the table. Uh, I realized recently that I have spoken with some states more than others. I've had Idaho on this podcast more than once, but Illinois only once and no one from the city of Chicago, which is a place I really want to visit and I don't know when I'll get the chance to. But I'm thankful to talk to my guest today. He's an alderman in Chicago. We're going to talk about how cool this place is, what is under the table in terms of what's going on there that maybe people don't pay attention to and uh, why city government is so important, and maybe we'll talk about some other things that are different from other interviews as well. His name is Matt Martin. He's got a really cool background, and I'm going to let him talk about it in a bit. So, Matt, thank you for talking today on my podcast.
1: Really a pleasure joining you, Tony. Thanks.
0: So, first of all, Chicago. How long have you been in Chicago? Have you been there your whole life, or did you move to Chicago?
1: I am not a native Chicagoan. I was born and raised in Tucson, Arizona, the southern part of that state. I came out to the Chicago area in 2002 to go to Northwestern for undergrad. And I think is as, as any uh, a good good Chicagoan would note, like Northwestern is not in Chicago. It's in Evanston, the first suburb due north. So I like to make clear, Chicago area I've been in since 2002, and it's... Of course, home for me, I've got a wife, I've got two young kids. Mm-hmm. It's a real little pleasure being in the city and obviously being able to serve my immediate neighbors.
0: Everyone I know who's even visited Chicago, like, I don't know people who haven't liked it. It seems like a place that people can easily fall in love with the city of Chicago and how cool it is.
1: Yeah, I think that that's the case for a number of reasons. One, people oftentimes will come to go to a sports game, to go to a convention, to visit a friend, and in all of those situations, people oftentimes like to show off the things that they love about Chicago, or the city does it for you. So we're right along Lake Michigan, a stunningly beautiful body of water. Our our lakefront is tremendous. We've got. Fantastic walking and biking paths. Lakeshore Drive, which is iconic, is also um, uh, in the area. Um, and then beautiful architecture. Mm-hmm. What was really unfortunate for, for the city over 100 years ago was the Great Chicago Fire. But one of um, the results of that was that there were substantial portions of the city that we could build up from scratch. And so it has a uh, the city has a rich architectural history as a result that's very much put on full display in the downtown area. And then like so many other big cities, we're we're a city of communities. We've got 77 different community areas all with their own unique flavor. Um, a lot of, um, like, uh, older ethnic enclaves that are no longer the case, but there are still vestiges of that in terms of the architecture and, and the restaurants especially. So I think it, it really has something for everyone.
0: And I'm sure everyone there on city council, a mayor, the legislators, everyone was very excited to see CM Punk return to wrestling recently and All Elite Wrestling. I think that that was probably the highlight of the year so far in uh, – In Chicago, right?
1: It it blew up my Twitter, that's for sure.
0: (laughs) Um, So obviously I'm a nerd on that. But So you went to a good school and have a professional career. thing I always ask my guests on here um, is, have you always been politically inclined? Has this been a direction that, not even just elected office, but being involved in politics been something that was important to you from an early age, or did something kind of hit you where you felt like you had a responsibility to pay close attention and be involved in the political process.
1: Mm-hmm. I was, I've always been mindful of the critical role that government plays at various levels. And, and a lot of that for me started early with my dad. He mm-hmm. was born and raised in Niger, which is a country in West Africa. Like he was growing up and continues to be this case. Uh, the, one of the most impoverished, uh, uh countries in the world. And he had the opportunity uh, to come study abroad. Um, He he went to the University of Arizona. That's where he and my mom met. And um, it was clear to me from an early age that he was motivated to come here and to take his studies so seriously um, and then go back to Niger because Of the transformational power of government when done well, and he wanted to play a pivotal role in that in his country. And so, initially for me, uh, my focus was more international related. Mm -hmm. I went to 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 college, and then for portions of law school, thinking that international relations and governance would be what I would want to focus on professionally. Um, I, I ultimately decided domestic and especially municipal policy and politics were, were more my speed in my interest, but it, it, it was really an early age spending time with my dad, where we watched the PBS news hour with Jim Lara, as opposed to cartoons or other fun shows. And it was just really like, That was important to him. There wasn't a question that we would, when we were watching TV, watch anything else or when I would have assignments around current events. He took that really seriously. Mm -hmm. It was clear to me, even if in ways that I couldn't articulate at the time, that um, being able to go to to school, um, especially college and university, was a real privilege. Um, he, his, his experience bore that out, and that, that just—that's always stayed with me. So there were times where I wasn't sure if I would be in elected politics, where I, whether I'd be in domestic government or even government at all, but always something public-facing for sure.
0: And we're both fathers of young kids. My kids are five and seven. Yours are a little bit younger. Um, does that kind of color not just how you are as an elected official, but? how you are as a parent because I think it's important for me to make sure my kids are as politically involved and aware as appropriate given their age.
1: Yeah. My kids are six and two years old respectively. For my son – Who's the older one? We are able to have conversations um, in in age appropriate ways, and I really appreciate that because, as I know, is the case with you, um, there there are no shortages of demands on your time, especially um, participating in events, leading events at the hyper local level. Um, You're you're a fairly recognizable person when you go out and about, Um, and, and he recognizes that at this point. He actually, when I was campaigning three years ago, would occasionally knock on doors with me at the time and then he'd go play with his trucks Mm -hmm. um and and it's it's a real privilege to be able to explain to him what what i view my job as being what the opportunities are what the responsibilities are um, because i want him to to know especially as he gets older i'm not sure how long i'm going to do this job but There have been times and there will continue to be times where I'm not able to spend quite as much time with him and his sister and my wife as I would like. There's always a zero-sum nature to things. So I want him to know that... Part of um, what takes me away from time to time to do those meetings, um, to work on policy, is because I want to make sure that he and everyone else who lives in our community or could live in our community in the future um, has the best possible experience. And so, yes, I'm working for a constituency of about 55,000 people, um, but, but he's one of them. And it's important to me that he knows that I I really care and and that that care manifests itself in ways that, he can see, because at the end of the day, I'm not like some government folks where, say, I'm working on one thing year after year after year, hoping that it hits. I mean, I'm having to make multiple decisions every single day. A lot of it's infrastructure-related, so I can tell him right now there's an alley nearby that's getting repaved because it was in terrible shape. He's aware of that. So when we're watching the construction crew doing their work, mm-hmm. it's been, and well here are the ways in which I helped. Um, shape the decision-making that ultimately led to that alley uh, getting repaved. And you can understand and appreciate that.
0: And I'm sure you, as a human being, can appreciate it yourself. I think that a number of people don't remember that politicians are actual human beings. And it's so rewarding to have some of these small things, and but no... Like, yeah, that alley's being paid because of me or that person is doing a good job because I was able to help hire them or something that maybe no one else can appreciate your involvement in but yourself. But you you can take personal pride in it in a way that maybe you can't in some other positions.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's one of the unique aspects of local government where a lot of the decisions you make are, are in some ways at the end of a much longer cycle because there's so many funds that we get from the state County, the federal government, and so we're putting that into into play. Um, and what I'm hoping will be the case um, in in a few months, when we pass the infrastructure bill, we'll have a new round of things that um, we we get to take some of those initial high level plans, certainly those federal funds, and figure out exactly where that's going to go in ways that reflect our community needs, our city needs. And so um, it, it's it's a job that I like, in no small part, because there's a good mix of mid and long term planning plus some of that immediate gratification say hey I did help get that um, that alley resurfaced that curb rebuilt um, a, a lot of what I really appreciate are pedestrian and bike safety improvements to ensure that folks who are differently abled elderly kids feel comfortable moving around our neighborhood which is a really terrific one to be in so I, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure what else i would do in government but hopefully whatever that is in an elected or non-elected capacity i will have the opportunity to do things where over the course of several days or several weeks, you can actually see the fruits of your work, which I think is really important really sustaining when there's no shortage of criticism coming your way. And that's fine. There should be. Like, no one's going to agree with my decisions 100% of the time. Hearing that feedback, hopefully in constructive ways, is really important. Mm-hmm. That helps me do my job better. Um, and and uh, it's it's just one of the reasons why uh, no two days are the same. It's a really interesting
0: job. And your job, like you said, you represent... Uh, portion of the city of Chicago, but it's still a lot of people. 55,000 people is as much as many state legislative or state senate districts across the country, sometimes bigger than get, given the size level. In, in New Hampshire, for example, you have a state rep for every block, so it's a little bit unique. But um, people, so are, when you come to Chicago, to the city council and city government, are people all thinking about Chicago, or is there a lot of people saying, yeah, we, we are here for Chicago, but my primary focus is these three neighborhoods, these wards here, this section, and, um, you know, create some, I don't want to say tension, but, you know, you have to, your needs are not always the broad-based whole city. You have a, you know, specialized needs for your areas.
1: Mm-hmm. The way that I like to think about it is, in some ways, there's, there's not as much of a distinction between those two things, as folks might think after they interrogate it. So, on the one hand, yes, I'm. I'm. I, there are maybe a half dozen neighborhoods that I represent, and it's only those folks who elect like me. I don't have an at-large seat, so my focus, first and foremost, should be helping ensure that they're getting the constituent services that they need, helping ensure that the policies that we are passing at City Council, the hearings that we're holding, have their interests in mind. One could always take the approach that it's zero sum, like I want to get as much for my community as possible, my constituents. And if that comes at the expense of others, well, so be it. And it's just a a, a power play to figure out how to maximize the benefits you get. I think that's an overly simplistic way of looking at things. I think that that's, that's a tired way of looking at things. And I think ultimately it's incorrect because I think more often than not, if you're thinking about what many of the challenges are that people are bringing to your attention, I, my tree needs to get trimmed, road abatement needs to be happening, need resurfacing, need garbage carts replaced um, more quickly. Oftentimes I feel there's going to be a citywide component to that. Maybe there's some something that's broken down in the process, and the manifestation of that is the fact that someone's had to wait six weeks for a treatment from when it should be six, six or six months when it should be six weeks. And um, there's there, if we got them say better resources or we're figuring out oversight in a better way, my constituents, the folks who put me into the office, they would feel the impacts of that. But so would other parts of the city. So at the end of the day, I do feel that there's a rising tide lifts all boats approach. But the last thing I'll say is, I'm cognizant of the fact that ours is a city that has been and continues to be very segregated on a number of levels, most notably race and income. And um, portions of my city, even though I'm black, uh, or portions of my constituency, even though I'm black, um, uh, majority white and, and majority upper income. And so I think that Uh, as I reflect on what's working and especially what isn't in in Chicago, I think that too often it is that 0 sum approach that folks have taken in ways that are are, are deeply troubling and and saddening. So, when I think about what the overall city needs and what some other communities beyond mine need, I'm comfortable with saying, hey, our parks might be in better shape than parks in some other parts of the city. Same thing with our school buildings. Same thing with our roads, and so when we're talking about how to allocate resources in an equitable way, I'm actually comfortable, oftentimes, going my constituents and saying, "We're not going to split everything into fifty little chunks, and we're going to get just the same amount." It's it's really important to look at the history of our city, the ways in which many many uh, parts of our city didn't get the resources that they needed and deserve, and it's our job in, in being cognizant of that history and the impacts of that, um, to rewrite it. And, and part of that means advocating for other parts of the city, even if I don't represent them right
0: now. And I'm sure as you're communicating with your constituents, a lot of them appreciate that honesty as opposed to kind of a smile and a nod and then moving on. I think, you know, I would appreciate that for my area, I mean, even though we need help here right now because we just had a big storm. You know, in general, I, I want people who need help to get help.
1: Exactly. And that's why it's 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 timely that, you know, we're having conversations like this where we're just embarking on our budget season right now. And so it's a time to really reflect on those things to say, yeah, there are some service where we just want to make sure everyone gets it, like regardless of what's going on. But there are times where we're talking about in Chicago we'll, we'll at the end of the day, receive a little less than $2 billion in federal ARPA funds. So it's a question for us of, yeah, like we need to make sure that we're making good financial decisions with that, but also it's once in a generation opportunity to figure out how we're going to help folks, not just respond to the pandemic and get through, but really rebuild, hopefully end up in a place that was better than where they started, um, in January and February of last year. So whether it's childcare, whether it's mental health, violence prevention work, um, There's just lots of needs, and I I hope that we make the right decisions in terms of thinking about how to use those once-in-a-generation resources in ways that um, we'll be really proud of in a generation or
0: two. So speaking of in a generation or two, and I notice some of the work you've done is on environmental work and caring about climate change, right? Um, I feel like a lot of the climate solutions end up coming at, on local and city and state government more than federal government, just by the nature of it. And also because you have a constituency that you probably don't need to convince to care about the climate, whereas you know, Mitch McConnell is going to just not care about it in the Senate, for example, maybe just blow, blow it off. I don't know. Um, are you and others thinking about You know, as you plan for infrastructure, how you plan around the changing climate issues, because, yeah, you're not on the ocean like Florida, but it's more apparent we just had a huge hurricane here in my town, which is not on the shore um, and the devastation from that. So none of us are immune from it. Are you and your team thinking about, well, when we invest our infrastructure, we're going to have to keep climate in mind and be more proactive than we may have a generation ago?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it falls into at least two buckets, broadly speaking. One is resiliency and one is more proactive protection. So from a resiliency standpoint, we, like you, are experiencing more frequent and severe storms, so it's never been more important that we, uh, for example, trim our trees proactively so that something that's overgrown doesn't, we don't lose part or all of that tree when one of those crazy storms comes through, and we're seeing those more frequently. Um, I think that with our lake, we've seen huge increases and decreases over very short periods of time in the lake level. And that as a result batters the lakefront. And we do have homes along the lakefront, but also lots of our best recreational areas in the city mm-hmm. along that lakefront. So we need to make sure that we're mindful of how we're rebuilding portions of that to be more and more resilient. Another thing we need to do is, uh, as I had indicated earlier, we need to just plant more trees. Our urban tree canopy that's that's been diminishing over the last decade plus but with uh, it's, it's the, the last several years have been most of the hottest years on record in Chicago. And so when we're talking about not having the sort of tree canopy that we have had in prior decades, that has real impacts in terms of the heat that people are having to endure, especially folks who don't have air conditioning or other ways to easily cool themselves or their homes. Um, so there, there has to be a lot of talk around what resiliency looks like. Um, when we're talking about proactive protection, it's about decarbonizing our economy in ways that um, aren't just the morally correct thing to do, the scientifically correct thing to do, but also there are economic benefits to that. So one of the things I'm really interested in helping to spearhead is an expansion of our electric vehicle charging infrastructure over the last 10—they've recently committed within the next 10 to 15 years— We're only going to sell electric vehicles. And so the job, and you mentioned this in your question, of local governments is to figure out, hopefully in advance, how do we make sure that the infrastructure we put in place right now will be a help as opposed to a hindrance for folks who are increasingly going to be making decisions like that. Another critical aspect is around our buildings, both existing buildings and new ones. We need to make sure that we are reducing their carbon footprint. So one of the things that I'll be really interested in in looking into and hope, hopefully helping lead on is making new, new constructed buildings solar ready so that you don't have to go in and retrofit mm-hmm. it in ways that can potentially be quite costly. But instead, you just say, okay, we're going to put in something in our building code saying that you're going to run particular types of wires in particular places so that especially for single-family homes and small multi-unit buildings, like two to three-unit buildings, that someone can just – purchase some solar panels, have an engineer install them relatively quickly and easily, and then done is done. It's going to save money. It's going to be good for jobs. It's going to be good for the climate.
0: That's a great answer, but it also reminds me that governing, especially today, is just very complicated. You have to be a master, uh, maybe not an A++ supermaster master at every issue, but you have to master a lot of issues, and to some people that can be intimidating, right? Because um, that's part of the reason I think a lot of people don't run for office is because now, you know, decades ago, you could run for office, even Senate, well, obviously you can run for president and not know anything too. That's another discussion, but, um, you can, uh, run for office on like one or two things that you know a lot about. And it feels like now, maybe even especially if you are in local government, because, you are the one making more decisions as opposed to like someone else is on those committees handling it so obviously climate is super complicated with all the different things you just mentioned plus infrastructure plus healthcare, plus policing plus budgeting plus schools all this stuff how do you keep that from being intimidating to someone who wants to be involved and run for office and that sounds scary to them
1: Mm -hmm. I think part of what makes it daunting is part of the the aspect of the job that I like, which is you're constantly learning. You're a generalist. You're Mm -hmm. not, like you said, just becoming an expert in one or two fields. And there are lots of benefits to that. We need folks who do take that approach, whether they're elected officials or not elected officials. But at the end of the day, we have so many needs at the local level that you do have to be fairly conversant. And so when I was campaigning, even before deciding to campaign, um, I had a a, a really terrific time visiting different school communities, for example, walking different commercial corridors to figure out block by block, neighborhood by neighborhood, what – what did school improvement mean in North Center versus Ravenswood versus versus Lakeview? Those are the names of some of the neighborhoods that I represent. It's it's incredibly varied, but when you become Fluent in that. And then you get to hone your understanding in your conversation going door to door, which I was I was able to do a lot of. You build in a knowledge base where, yeah, maybe you're not going to be someone who um, is going to be writing a treatise about it. But you know some of the critical points such that when the time comes, you're in office and you need to make decisions or even ask questions, you know what's most important for your community in terms of its priorities. The second thing is you got to surround yourself with smart people, ideally people who are a lot smarter than you are. And for us, that's meant hiring top-notch staff in our office. It's also meant because the the number of folks I get to work with in my office, it's four to five at any given time relatively modest. You've got to cultivate and maintain relationships with folks who are knowledgeable in various city departments as well as outside of government entirely. And so in leaning on those folks within and outside of your office, when you say, hey, I want to talk about electric vehicle charging infrastructure, or I want to talk about how to expand our urban tree canopy. Well, I'm not going to have all the answers right at my fingertips, especially early on in that process. I don't think I should be expected to, but I need to be able to quickly and successfully identify the folks who do have the sorts of ideas that we should, at the end of the day, be implementing, who do have the sort of insights that allows me to ask questions that ultimately lead to good decisions and good votes, that's that's a constant struggle. Don't get me wrong. It's not the easiest thing to do, but that helps me do my job better. And it also helps inform what some of my colleagues are doing because we're constantly learning from one another. Mm-hmm. And hopefully for my successors and folks who will be working in other levels of government after I'm done they will take some of that um, into account as they're making their decisions, they're building up their offices, and we'll just keep getting better and better in terms of how we're operating as elected officials.
0: Yeah, I find that my knowledge of issues has obviously improved since I've been in office, but also my ability to ask questions has definitely improved after time. And I've noticed that with some of the newer members on council with me, I realize, well, they don't know what question to ask. And that's why I need to step in, not to provide an answer, but to ask a question of someone who is speaking um, that someone else may not have asked, but that they will once they're in office for a few years.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I, I agree. And one of the things that's actually kind of liberating about the job is the idea that it's not going to be a forever job for me. I'm not going to be doing this for 40 years. So I can – I can be ambitious in how I spend my time. I can uh, really push myself, push others, but knowing that, hey, I I don't want to do this for a bunch of terms. It's helpful when you constantly have a, a, a good churn of folks who are thoughtful, who are constantly looking for new and different ways to engage the community. I think that that's really helpful, particularly at the local level where we're constantly being asked to do so much in a changing landscape. So my, my, my hope and expectation is that um, in 10, 20, 30 years from now, um, the approach that I'm taking, which was of course informed by my predecessor who did a terrific job in the office. We're just learning from one another and, and, and folks will feel that, Hey, our, our local elected officials aren't, uh, aren't bums. They're, they're, they're doing good work. Their hearts are in the right place. They're sharp. They've got good folks working with them and we're all better because of it.
0: Well, I can't, uh, have a conversation with someone from Chicago without talking about crime in Chicago, too. And I know you have been active on criminal justice reform and talking about crime as well. I have a person in my community he, is, uh, and who I know who posts a lot about... Because he's been very critical of um, different things that have come up, like defund police, and which I don't need to talk about that. But he's like, but look at Chicago. Oh, look at... They have any murders they had this week. And it's really gross to me, not just murders are gross, of course, but that mentality of almost pointing it out, and it's not fair to the people that live there. But I also know from talking to people in different cities that while that situation exists, it's not like no one's doing anything. So how does that impact you as a local official? And what are the kind of the actions that you're doing to address? uh, I know it's a big, very big topic, and you can answer how you want. But how, how do you address like, making sure that you are holding police accountable as everyone should be accountable no matter their job and also addressing that, that serious issue of crime and murder in your city.
1: It's it's to be honest. I don't think anyone would disagree. The biggest short term challenge that mm-hmm. we're facing as a city and, and one of the, there are many painful aspects and you alluded to some of them. One of them is that that pain is felt very unequally throughout the city. You can have situations where certain wards over a several-year period, they might um, have just a small handful of homicides, one, two, three. And that's, to be clear, one or two, three, too many. But then you have others where it could be well over 100. And so the the sort of experiences and challenges that we're dealing with – they're focused in particular communities. That's just sad. In so many ways, it's a continuation of, of segregation. It's a continuation of redlining and blockbusting and restrictive covenants and other racist practices that um, various levels of government were had had a direct role to play in. Um, so, so that's... It's 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 deeply troubling, but nevertheless, we need to chart a path forward and to not say simply, well, it was a problem that was building up over decades, so it's gonna take us decades to solve it. I, I think that's that's not the sort of rhetoric and certainly not the sort of actions that people are, are expecting, the sort of urgency with which they want us to act needs to be ramped up many times beyond what that rhetoric that some use would, would indicate. So I think that there are a few things that this are, are really working on. One is we know that um, we need to drastically improve the relationship between the police department here and many of the communities where gun violence is most significant. Our homicide, our gun violence clearance rates are among the lowest of any big city mm-hmm. in the entire country. And to me, that's still a lack of trust. In some communities, it's trust that's diminished. In other communities, it's it's trust that never really existed to begin with. And so there are lots of ways to improve trust, some of which are just approaching community policing in a different way, walking and biking the beats, getting to know folks, um, engaging in constitutional policing, right? Not using unconstitutional uses of force and the like so that's one critical component and can i, I say one, oh
0: please no no, no what you're saying makes a lot of sense to me but one thing also i noticed i was listening to uh i think it was w kima bell talking about this on uh, cnn and for a lot of people in communities it's hard to say more policing is the answer when you have those clearance rates like you say and it's like well we have police And I'm not saying anything bad about Chicago police or any other police, but it's hard to say that the police are solving the problem of uh, murders and crime when they're not clearing the cases. And it feels like you said, a lack of trust and lack of faith in the whole system for a lot of people in those areas. I'm sure
1: Mm -hmm. there there are so many different ways to, to, to understand that issue and help remedy it. But, but you're right. Fundamentally, I think people are still figuring out, well, what what does public safety mean and what brings about public safety? And so I think that it is critically important to focus on the police department because at the moment that's the institution that we as as, as elected officials uh, have, have, have tasked with helping improve public safety. But I think that while you need to focus on the department you also need to look beyond it simultaneously mm-hmm. because they're responding to so many situations. Of, of, of trauma, of instability, mental health instability, job instability, food instability, housing instability. Um, and so part of what I think we need to do a better job with in Chicago, and I suspect it's not unique to Chicago, is thinking about what types of calls for service do you want officers to respond to? What's uniquely in their wheelhouse, and what are things where you say we can have other other civil servants respond, freeing up officers to focus on things um, that 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 they're best equipped to deal with. One area where we're look where we're looking to set up a pilot is for folks who are having um, mental health issues, especially if there's not a violence component. Can we take a cue from? The Whitebird Clinic in Eugene, Oregon, or more recently the STAR program in Denver of paramedics and crisis workers to respond to those calls for service. Um, those, those are two of many communities that have had terrific experiences with setting up those alternative public safety programs. We're working to set that up in Chicago. I'm, I'm, I'm very optimistic that there will be benefits. And then finally is... Is taking uh, really providing more support to violence prevention organizations who are going out? They they have credibility in the community. They have ties to say after a shooting happens, we're gonna we're gonna help reduce tensions, deescalate the situation, so they're we're, we're minimizing the possibility of reprisals. But in doing so, saying, "Hey, I've been in your shoes. I understand in some ways the trauma mm-hmm. that you're probably experiencing in some way." How, how about we get you talking to a therapist to help you process this? Are you unemployed or underemployed? Well, we've got a paid job training program right here with an employer who's ready to hire you once you finish that. We're seeing lots of great results with these pilot programs, but we can't keep treating them as that as pilots. Mm-hmm. We need to once we identify proof of concept, expand, and I think that we're we're on track to doing that.
0: And I'm sure, as an alderman and someone who's in city government, you have met with and you've seen police. Doing the work, And so much is being put on police officers, also put on teachers, where now, um, if you are a police officer, and similarly, if you're a teacher, you're asked to be like a, their personal health care provider in a lot of ways for a lot of people. You're asked to be a social worker. You're asked to be a lot of things. And it sounds a lot of people hear some of what you said from another audience and think, oh, they want to take the police and just be social workers. And the answer is, well, we know we want police to do police work. And kind of take some of those responsibilities off so they can focus on the crime and the issues that are going on in communities.
1: It's it's a really challenging um, situation, no doubt, to message around. But at the end of the day, any public servant can only focus on so much. Before it's completely outside of their areas of expertise, and I think that's especially the case with folks who we're asking to be on the front lines. It could be public safety. It could be keeping our water clean. It could be um, trimming our trees, uh, paving our roads. Like we need to be cognizant of who has the the best skill set to address various needs, but also having an understanding of what those needs are. Um, and. Uh, we're, I'm not going to shy away from having those challenging conversations, but at the end of the day, I just don't think it's fair. And I, I, I haven't talked to too many folks who feel differently to ask officers to be the ones who are solving Homelessness to be the ones who are solving um, problems around mental health, problems around um, education, and, and and lack of jobs. That's 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 just not fair to them. Mm-hmm. That's not fair to the communities that they're working in. And ultimately, we're not going to get the outcomes that everyone's looking for, which is you know to to have the safest and most comfortable environment within which to to live the life that. that value the most the most pleasure um so yeah these are hard conversations and sometimes we struggle to find the right words but at the end of the day i do think that we all generally want to get to the same place so let's stop listen understand but also exercise some grace give give one another some latitude as ways that will get us to do that better place
0: well I hope everyone was able to take some time to stop and listen to what you had to say today, but people could also might want to stop and listen and hear more about you and how you got into office, um, which I could hear for next four hours if either of us had the time to talk for four hours based on all the things you say. Um, But if people are interested in learning more about you and maybe want to follow you and get some encouragement or ask you questions, what are some ways that they should reach out, especially on social media?
1: Yeah. Um so our, our handles on I think Instagram and Facebook it's it's Ald, Matt Martin, A-L-D, Matt Martin. Um, we've got a website, AldermanMartin.com, that folks can also check out, especially if they want to reach out personally and, and, and ask questions or, or help, because <laughs> we always need help in ways both big and small. Um, so those, were, those would be the, the, the best ways to reach out to us.
0: Well, I know when it comes to city government, when it comes to politics at all, there's really no small, because a small all adds up to big. Uh, I really appreciate what you're doing, Matt. You're Of all the Matt Martins out there, you're definitely at my top of my list. So I appreciate
1: it. <laughs> there are thousands of us. So I, I appreciate know. that.
0: Uh, so follow Matt Martin on all social media. Ask him some questions. He's got great answers. And uh, if you're listening, I'm sure you'll agree, Matt, maybe you should consider running for office too.
1: Couldn't agree more. Thanks very much for the time, Tony.
0: Thank you and best of luck in Chicago and go see CM Punk, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Take care.